Hey everybody, let's get to it. We're picking up right where we left off in the previous episode. Here is part two of the anatomy of hearing. Yeah. The cochlea itself only is, is the size of a pea. I just yeah. think that's cool. So uh, that's so from there and, and knowing that it's just that size, let's talk about what the hell amazing shit is inside the cochlea and how it works. Yeah. So if you, I mean, obviously I'm getting nerdy about mechanical stuff here because it's what I deal with on a day-to-day standpoint. Yeah. It is amazing what that little tiny snail shell Nautilus can do in there. It's and awesome. so it does house two different functions. So the snail shell Nautilus look, um, that portion, the cochlea is your hearing nerve. And there are three fluid chambers in there. Potassium, sodium is one. And then there's um, a middle chamber. And that is where your nerve runs through with those hair cells. So so that's the first one. And then, you know, there's those loops at the top. Um, That is your XYZ plane. And so those loops are more, you're right, your vestibular system, your balance system. Yeah. So if I move my head to the left, then the fluid in my ears are moving to the right. And that's how my brain knows which way my head is moving in space. And so some people who have balance issues... a lot of times it's housed in those XYZ planes or those three loops in the cochlea. Not my expertise. I will absolutely defer on that one. Yeah. Um, So sound comes in. And like we said last time, you kind of unroll high frequencies to low frequencies. The low frequencies are going to be at the apex of that snail shell. Right. And so what happens is as that faceplate moves in and out of that round window, on the um, other side, that movement or that pressure into the cochlea has to release. So there's actually a second membrane of the cochlea that when the faceplate moves in and out of the oval window, I apologize, it moves in and out of the oval window, there's a round window that is opposite at the bottom. And so you can kind of see it um, moving with the pressure when the stapes moves in and out of the cochlea to displace that fluid in there. So to describe this, one way of describing sort of the the physical shape again of the cochlea, and again, this is one's a mistake I had, that there's not one little tube and one little hole in the center of the cochlea. It's actually a long hollow tube that goes to the inside and then circles back out into the middle ear, right? Am I describing yes, so the, ra- the round window is that membrane is kind of opening that pressure to the it you can see it from the middle ear space, yes. Right. In and out, like every vibration goes in through the cochlea circles and comes back out to the middle ear. Correct. Cool. Yep. Yep. Okay. And so as that pressure change um or those waves move along the cochlea um from high pitch to low pitch they are displacing your outer hair cells, which sit Mm -hmm. on kind of a gelatinous membrane in there. And so those outer hair cells, we have a lot more outer hair cells than inner hair cells. Outer hair cells are more sensitive. They're picking up the sound. We have three rows of them. And then that is when, as they move, they are attached to an inner hair cell, which is each attached to a nerve. Therefore your digital sound there you go finally right (laughs) uh 
So back, you know, I'm going to back up a little bit on this. So sure. inner and outer hairs, man, this is one that was, is still, I haven't, um, I'm learning that it's more ambiguous than I keep, I keep trying to pin down the roles of each of them very specifically. And you kind of can't, right? They're, they cross over, the roles cross over, but you can give some sort of general descriptions about what the, what the outer hairs do compared to the inner hairs maybe yeah so the outer hair cells are more so the receptors so they're picking up those fine movements and like i said there's you know three sets of outer hair cells per inner hair cell right. and so it's 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 basically the receptors of of what sound is mm-hmm. when that's sent to the inner hair cell the inner hair cells what applies the volume so they're kind of um adding up those those receptors from the outer hair cells and giving it essentially a volume reception which is then sent up to the brain um so outer hair cells think of it as like they're picking up the sound and then the inner hair cells are essentially fine-tuning that um that's like the easiest way i can explain that okay uh and this is one of the things that i find amazing and again as a musician learning about how the mechanisms of the ear work and where we're starting to get perilously close to the neurology right we're heading heading in that direction uh one speaks to the brain and it comes back right so it's it's efferent and afferent are terms of you i've heard and again it's it's oversimplifying to say that one is strictly one or the other yes yeah yes describe efferent and afferent Afferent means that it's being sent to the brain. Okay. Efferent is when the brain is sending out a response. So the inner hairs are known to be more afferent? They're good. They both yeah. have both. So, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, because essentially an outer hair cell picks up the sound, processes it through the organ of cordy, gets it to the inner hair cell, the inner hair cell sends it up to the brain, and then the brain actually sends back a sound. Yes. It comes through the inner hair cell, and it goes back out the outer hair cells. Right. So, So yes, go ahead. Keep going. Sorry. They have both. They're doing both. Okay. They're doing both. Yes. And we can actually take measurements of outer hair cell functionality. Outer hair cells, we can, they actually click and make sound in response to sound. And so we can do a test called otoacoustic emissions and outer hair cell functionality should be present across the frequency spectrum, again, until you have about a 50 dB hearing loss. So outer hair cells are looking at the kind of the up until about 50 dB, that's their job duty. If you have hearing loss or you have damage to those outer hair cells only, we can expect up to a, a, a 50 dB hearing loss. Okay. Anything past that is is it's, damage to the inner hair cells, which is where people start to have areas of um, uh, where it's not clear. Outer hair cell functionality, if we get volume in there, it's fine. Okay. Inner hair cell functionality. If we get volume in there, it's distorted. Okay. Um, 
and again, that's suddenly like just talking about this makes it all more complicated because, <laughs> because your yeah. brain is telling your ear how to hear. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's a circular communication that's happening way before you consciously have heard, uh, have understood what that sound is that you're hearing, right? You hear a bird. There's been communication between the ear and the brain before your brain says, oh, that's a bird. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been yep. a lot of that happening already adjusting to that and that's one of yeah. the things again i think it's important for musicians to understand that for those of us who are maybe trying to figure out tinnitus trying to figure out these things it's i think it was helpful to me to understand this this really complicated sort of communication that's happening uh with the ear and outer ear, ears and how the brain is already affecting what we hear before we even know we're hearing it Correct. And this becomes a huge topic of conversation when we talk about tinnitus, when we talk about cognition, yes, exactly. because tinnitus in its main form is your brain looking for sound that is not present. Right. And because of that inner hair cell, outer hair cell relationship with the inner hair cells providing kind of the growth of sound to mm -hmm. the brain, exactly. if there's not an outer hair cell stimulating the inner hair cell, that inner hair cell still sending that signal up to the brain and the brain is like, but that's not, you know what I mean? There's like a disconnect. Can the I brain get an is amen? looking for that sound right yeah, there. Yeah, goddamn it. Yes, amen. Yes. Sisters, so, preach. Like it's, <laughs> and then it just grows. And that's what the inner hair cells do. They grow sound. And so it that's why the inner hair cells and the inner ear is very important when we talk about tinnitus. Yeah. Just, just all the things you hear, the instant tinnitus solutions and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's... Uh, there's a reason there are very, very true, clear medical reasons why these instant tinnitus things generally don't work. They don't work. Right. Uh, and, now, I, and again, I don't want anyone to stop doing it. And you, you, you uh, I'm going to do my own personal vent on that and just sort of, you want to try shit, try it out. Just be careful. Uh, if it works, God bless you. But <laughs> yeah. uh, just knowing if you actually know a little bit of the anatomy and the neurology of the brain, you're going to know that, well, shit, then, then this stuff really doesn't work. They're just selling yeah. me some, uh, uh, you know, uh, snake oil. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And again, amen for, and then you clarified it very well. I want uh, that. If, if there was one thing I want, like, this is a huge one in my mind, what you just described and, and the movement of the inner and outer hairs and how they communicate to the brain and how the brain responds. Mm -hmm. This is, this is sort of the, you know, this is the the bread and butter. This is a this is the raw feed of this of this podcast. You know, like I know, this, Chris, you just love all this. I do. I eat it up. Man. <laughs> and again, it makes, uh, yeah, it gets me up in the morning. And again, like uh, be, understanding this stuff really helps me. Yeah, understand my own hearing, and that's what Correct. this is about. You know. Yeah. Now, I think um, I kind of want to tie back to something that you said earlier about how your the yoga guy was doing different positions to open the ear canal. Yeah. Um, now we were. I just said tinnitus is caused when there's a lack of stimulation to the brain, and the and the brain kind of like is looking for that sound. Yeah. Um, you can create tinnitus almost just sitting there doing nothing. If yes. you put your fingers in your ear and you block external stimulation, close your eyes and think about it, I guarantee you're gonna hear something in your head you don't, you don't typically hear. 
Yes. I was hearing some sort of, well, I have really bad. Yeah, we, we, we can go there. Right. And I had wine last night, so it's okay. really loud. Yeah. Um, but like, even you can hear yourself blink. You can hear mm-hmm. yourself breathe. You know, you're going to hear everything in your head or the mechanics of your, your muscles and your face movements louder right. because you don't have that external stimulation. And so there are certain things that cause tinnitus that are medically fixable, essentially. So same thing, if you have an ear infection, that that is blocking external sound from going in there and covering up all your internal sounds. Yes. So think of that outer hair cell, inner hair cell kind of works the same way. If you don't have any outer hair cells, you're gonna hear your internal sounds a lot louder. Right. Yeah, so that's why, and again, we've talked about this, this is why Tinnitus is often a, a first sign of hearing loss, of upper register hearing loss, because Correct. you're not getting that signal from the outside world. Your brain is building it. It's compensating your the the inner and middle the the inner and outer hairs. Is it is it, it tinnitus is still that miscommunication between those two, right? And and the brain. And the brain. Yeah. Uh so yeah, if you if you're not getting it from the outside world your brain is probably going to try to compensate for that. Yeah, nine times out of 10. Um, Something that makes sense to people is talking about phantom limb. If you cut off your arm, your brain for a very long time will think that you have an arm. Right, right. And because just because the arm isn't there, the receptors and the afferent and efferent receptors are still Mm -hmm. there. Um, so your brain is still sending signal to your fingers that are no longer there. Yeah. Same thing. Your brain is still looking for stimulation from fingers that are no longer there. Yes. It is the same thing with tinnitus. Yep. Amen. Once again, amen. Exact scenario. Your brain is, even if you have hearing loss, mm-hmm. even if you have noise exposure, damage in your ear, even if that damage is not presenting as as hearing loss quite yet, but you have really loud ringing in your ears, right? It, it most likely it's because that nerve fiber is still there and not receiving the stimulation that it needs, and mm. therefore it creates that you know it's, cycle. It's back screaming. And forth. Like, it's it's, it's, it's screaming it's at you. Screaming for attention. Correct. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so. Uh, so and Lord knows this is, uh, we can go down this, this is a rabbit hole. We, again, uh, uh, we're touching on tinnitus. This is called the Tinnitus Manifesto Podcast. Of course, we're probably going to have several episodes just about tinnitus, but uh, I think it's important to sort of have it all tie in with everything that we're discussing here. And I think, again, this, it was really important for me to understand what we're discussing. I found this very helpful for me emotionally. Uh, in dealing with my tinnitus, sort of knowing the mechanics of it and get it, knowledge is power. It gives you a little sense of, you know, a little more of a sense of control. It doesn't mean, you know, we talked about this a few episodes ago. Uh, um, yeah, tinnitus is not something you can get rid of, but it is something you can manage. It's something you can control. It's, you know, you Correct. can make it not such a, uh, a thing. Uh, thing. Right. Yeah. So, let me just sum up the process of the inner ear and you can correct me. Okay. I'm just, and I'm reading off of what I've written. So I'm just going to tell you now. All right. So I'm reading off of the script. 
In one hollow spiraled pea-sized bone known as the cochlea, there are roughly 300 inner hair cells and 12,000 outer hair cells. And they all contain millions of stereocilia, cilia, stereocilia, is that what it's pronounced? Stereocilia. Uh, and they are moving at various widths, uh, at about the width of an atom, can detect changes in pressure as small as a molecule. And then when activated, those inner hair cells become, turn a physical chemical bit of information into an electrical signal that is sent to the brain. Is that? Correct. Okay. And that is, this that can is happen. That. This can happen, uh, you know, as much as 20,000 times per second. Correct. That's so cool. I just think that's cool. Like that's, you know, humans, humans are cool, man. I mean, the, the mechanisms of the human body are pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And to tie this back into tinnitus too, we, okay. when someone comes in, like the whole, again, whole point of this is educational tinnitus yeah. base. We're going to get there. Most of the time when people come to my office for a tinnitus evaluation, once they understand this yeah. and they understand why tinnitus is happening, we don't really need to do anything about it. I get, yes. I, I keep saying preach. Maybe I know. I, 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 I'm so with you. I like, uh, because it's, it's that understanding. And again, suddenly the information that you realize it is you're given control. You're given at control least a sense of, yeah, right. I and mean, that's what it is. Lack of control is the problem with tinnitus. Like I can't stop. Oh my God, what the hell am I going to do? This is fucking making me nuts. Yep. Well, oh, yeah. And again, if you just learn it, yeah. Uh, and it is, and back to the analogy of the, um, the arm, you know, if you lose your arm and there's that known technique, there's that practiced technique that you can undo that, that pain that people feel of that grip, mm -hmm. right? They do the mirror yeah. thing. You've got the two, you know, put your yeah. hand, get a mirror. You can see the other one. It, it is real, but it's psychological, right? It's correct. not immaterial. It's not false. It is correct. It is real. It is a psychological solution to this seeming physical problem, mm -hmm. right? And yeah. you can in the same way. And that's essentially, I think, what's happening. Uh, Again, this will be the power of this particular episode. I think, in my opinion, is like you said, people go in, you explain this stuff to them. They walk out much mentally different as if they were able already to start releasing that that tension. Correct. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty rare that we really do end up in a true like TRT or tinnitus retraining therapy based ear level treatment method. Uh, right. It's for, for me. It's it's actually quite rare. Um, it's the first. Well, it that's it the happened, start. That's but, the beginning yeah. of it. Like if someone wants to go there, but at least it's that understanding is the biggest first step, right? Yeah. Just, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, that was really letting myself understand and digest that changed my perception of my tinnitus. But, yeah. You know, without question. And again, the more I understood, uh, again, it's just that knowledge is power, and it gives me a sense of more control of what I'm dealing with. And uh, that is, you know, we're trying to not just save those billion cochlear hairs, we're trying to keep people from going crazy, right, <laughs> with their tinnitus. It's uh, the manifesto against tinnitus. Yes. <laughs> uh, oh, God, we're all kind of going crazy, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and again, and and but, but, right, and going, and that's the thing, too, you can be starting to go crazy and cause tinnitus, right? It's That's a, true. It's, it's a vicious a, cycle. It's a, right. It's a cycle. Yeah. It's a, it's a, you know, you can 
uh, it can go both ways, right? It yeah. can come from the brain or it can come from the ears. Uh, if you're stressed out, if you're freaking out, uh, chances are those things will be more activated. When we do start any sort of retraining therapy, I do tell people, you know, the whole point of this is to habituate your brain from your tinnitus. It's not to take your tinnitus away. It's to give you tools that you find work for you to help you reduce the reaction of your body to the tinnitus. Mm -hmm. Now, um, if we're doing ear level devices, which is the most common for a true TRT, um, if we're doing ear level devices, People, you know, on average take about 18 to 24 months to not need those devices on a daily basis. Okay. But you know what? You keep them because at some point in life, you are going to have a stressful day or a stressful scenario or a life change. And you are going to need those devices back out to calm yourself down. But at least you have the tools available. Mm-hmm. And you have the knowledge and the experience available to also understand, I still can be in control of this. I have other things going on. Therefore, I lost control of this. But you can get those devices back out and you can start your therapy right off the bat and just kind of get back into it using the tools that you have been provided. The tools in the toolbox. That's a lot of, uh, again, I use that oftentimes when I'm teaching yoga. It's like we're, you know, I, I give a specific instruction you know, for a certain thing, we'll just keep that in the back of your brain and apply it when you need to. Um, it is just, you know, and again, knowledge is power. Information is important. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll I'll just say, I think on a day-to-day standpoint, it's really interesting how many people do come into my office with true middle ear issues that, um, you know, sometimes with a medication or an ENT referral, um, or even just getting that, that wax out of there, it's just crazy how many how many steps can go wrong before it even gets to the ear. So, and would you say that uh, the things that go wrong are they often uh, temporary, manual, or well, okay, that too, yeah, temporary, yes. So often temporary, hopefully, mm-hmm. and then yeah. are they, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, man made? Are they caused by? either large volume or injury or someone putting something in their ears too far, you know, (laughs) nine times out of 10, um, it's allergies. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So whether that be, um, uh, external environmental allergies or internal, uh, with, uh, diet. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that is something we'll definitely get into too, is diet and and all the stuff is controlling here. Sound test. Sound test. Sound test. Sound test. Hey, everybody. It's Chris with another episode of Sound Test, where we explore various physical and neurological hearing issues. Today, I'm going to tell you a little story about my own recent challenges with intonation. Despite being born deaf in one ear, for my whole musical life, I've always had an easy time with intonation. I could sing in tune, I was good with harmonies, and I was quick to learn a part by ear. Starting around 2015, 2016, I noticed it was taking me longer to do this. I'd be given a recording or a list of songs, and for the first time in my musical life, I was having difficulty identifying the chords. 
It was like the bass part and the upper frequency instruments didn't seem to totally agree. If it was a cover tune, I would check YouTube videos that taught the bass line because I needed to see what notes were being played. And even then, the sound was somehow not quite right to me. What's worse is this was also revealing itself during live performance. The hearing loss and the tinnitus were one thing. I could still play around those issues, but things were starting to sound like cacophony. I kept thinking something or someone was out of tune. It was making me doubt what I was playing. And doubt is a characteristic you do not want in a bass player. There's no way around it. Everybody on stage is listening to the bass player for the chord changes. It's pretty much our main job to be the anchor. Guitar and keys, they can hold off on a beat if they're not sure of a chord, but bass can't do that. So something I truly loved doing, performing live, became something I dreaded. Instead of joy, playing music became a very stressful part of my life. And over that year or so, my participation in music eventually dropped to zero. I completely stopped playing live. I put my basses and guitars away and I didn't pick up an instrument for about four years until roughly 2020, when a couple things happened that sort of redirected me back to music. First, I was driving home from work and listening to a radio interview with piano player, songwriter John Baptiste. Fresh Air's Terry Gross was interviewing him and he was answering questions, playing piano from his home studio. As I was listening, I thought, wow, that's pretty relaxed of John to be playing an out-of-tune piano on NPR. And in case you missed that, I actually thought that John Batiste, the, the multi-Grammy award winner, was playing a shitty piano on Terry Gross's world-renowned multi-award winning 40 years running interview show. I never claimed to be particularly bright, but to be fair, my ear was telling me that things were out of tune. So shortly after that experience, I discovered a book by neurologist writer Oliver Sacks called Musicophilia about different brain-related hearing issues. It described a case very similar to mine. A classical music composer was noticing that his piano sounded out of tune even though it wasn't. In particular, the upper register, and it was interfering with his ability to compose and to conduct. The case went on to talk about how this composer went about retraining himself in the way he heard the notes, and how although it wasn't perfect, he had managed to retune his hearing through practice and repetition. Now, upper register hearing loss was something that I had understood, and it kind of made sense to me. I had no idea that intonation issues could even happen. I didn't know it was a thing. And a book even had a name for it, Cochlear Amusia. So after several years of not playing any music and really missing it, I decided to get a digital piano. I intentionally chose a digital piano instead of going back to a stringed instrument because with digital, I would never have any doubt about intonation. And I gotta say, first time sitting down behind the piano was highly revealing to me. My brain did not want to accept what the piano was telling me. My brain was hearing low notes go south and the high notes go north. And by this I mean on the piano, the lower the note I played, the flatter it sounded, and the higher the note I played, the sharper it sounded. Musically speaking, when I played C2 on the piano and then played the same note three octaves up, C5, to my ear, that C5 sounded like a C sharp. 
As I continued, I noticed some keys on the piano were sort of worse than others. Other notes around C5 sounded a little more like an old, out-of-tune piano. And pretty much any notes above F6 were just distractingly out of tune to me, like a bad toy piano. And this is all while I was playing a digital piano that used sounds modeled from a Steinway Mini Grand. So it's pretty shocking. I have to say that on an emotional level, the new understanding affected me deeply. The last few years of playing before I stopped had been more and more frustrating. I'd been blaming myself for not working hard enough on the material, for not paying better attention, for singing out of tune, for not backing my fellow musicians in the way that I knew I could and had for decades. Along with just missing the act of playing music, I had been punishing myself with guilt. And now I come to discover that I really was hearing things out of tune, that what I was experiencing was a real documented medical neurological issue and that there was even some hope for some improvement. As I continued to play, there was a process of understanding and self-forgiveness that was cathartic. And I admit, I cried a few times in those first few hours sitting behind the piano. Over the next few days, something amazing started to happen. Some of the intonation issues, particularly in the lower frequencies, were starting to resolve themselves. I don't know how else to put it except to say that those lower notes just seemed to move back closer into tune. The difference over octaves was noticeably less than just those few days before when I first bought the piano. Of course, it wasn't the notes on the digital piano that changed, it was my brain. My brain began to reconcile the information it was receiving with the faulty information caused by my damaged hearing. My brain was creating a workaround for the faulty mechanics of my ear. What I've learned is that, similar to the composer in the book, through repeated playing and deeply listening to an instrument I trusted, I was able to reduce the intonation issues to the point where they were not just less of a distraction, but to the point where the notes actually sounded more in tune to me. I've been learning and practicing piano for the last few years, and at this point, the lower octaves are basically a non-issue. Some of the notes around C5 still sound a little less resonant, a little out of tune. And for some reason, the F6 still sounds noticeably sharper than the notes around it, and pretty much anything above that just moves slightly sharp. Interestingly enough, these things can change subtly from day to day, and even over the course of my practice time. Like I said, it's manageable. Enough so that I'm back to playing and writing music. Enough that I can enjoy recording and mixing and editing my songs and podcasts. And I hope when I get a little more confident at playing piano, I can get back to performing music live with my friends. It was this journey and experience that led me to creating the Tinnitus Manifesto Project. The website, the podcast, and the soon-to-be-released book are all response to things I've learned from my own experience. That hearing is a delicate and complicated process. Hearing is fragile and it needs to be protected. But hearing is also malleable. It adjusts. And although there might not be definitive medical cures for hearing loss, for tinnitus, or for other hearing issues, there are tools and ways to manage and even improve the way you hear. So that's this episode of the podcast. Check out the website, the YouTubes, and the social medias. My name is Chris Clausen. Don't burn those cochlear hairs, y'all. Take care.